I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to be speaking to you this morning as your pastor. I can't even describe it. That goes for you guys too. <laughs> All of you. Now I'd really like to start my first sermon as your pastor in prayer. Will you bow with me? Father, we come to you humbly and I pray that you would direct all the words that I speak this morning. Help me not to say or teach anything that's contrary to your word. I pray that your word would be clear, that you would open our hearts to understand it and to take it in and that it would change us. Oh, we rely on you totally for these things and we happily and joyfully trust you for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's very humbling to learn every day a little bit more clearly that I am totally inadequate for the task laid ahead of me and of myself. Totally inadequate. But we know that through the Lord we can do all things. Amen. And I come to you this morning very sincerely, very genuinely, not, you know, I'm the pastor up here in the suit saying rehearsed things, very sincerely. Please pray for me. I covet your prayers. Pray for me in this position as your pastor. Because I can't do anything without God. I can't do anything of worth for his kingdom without him. So pray for me. Pray for this church. Because I think God has great things in store for us in not. Great things. But we have to depend on him. So let's not try to depend on ourselves or even just on me as a man. But let's keep leaning on God in prayer. There's been a lot of sleepless nights leading up to this morning, not with anxiety, but just with excitement. As when I was a youth minister working full-time elsewhere, I felt like I was just being held back from devoting the time and energy towards serving you guys that I really wanted to. And I'm so excited to be able to full-time devote myself to serving you in this manner. I'm just very thankful, very, very thankful for the opportunity. So thank you very much. Now, I've been praying about how to begin this new ministry, trying to determine the right way to go in this new year, how to start this new year at Dillon's Grove. I know that you who've been here for a few years have been through quite a bit, and we're ready to move on. We're ready to focus, to get started, to get something going here. But how? Move on toward what? More programs? New programs? New committees? What should we do? What do we need to do? Do we need to change anything? Should everything stay the same? Do we need to build something? We know we, want, we don't want to stay exactly the same, but we don't really want to change. How can we know what to do as a church? How can I know what to do as a pastor? How can each of you know what to do as a church member? Years ago, I worked at Sears in the Monroe Mall. This was when I was in high school. I started off working in the softer side of Sears, folding clothes and stuff. I can actually fold clothes pretty well if I apply myself toward it, which I don't often do. But if I were to, I'd probably impress you with it. And then I moved over to hard lines where the men work, selling tools, lawn and garden equipment, things I knew nothing about. I did not know anything about any tools over there except maybe a hammer, nails. I could figure those out. I didn't know a thing, and I was a salesman. So I'm supposed to project an air of confidence on the sales floor that I know what I'm talking about. People come to me, and they they have questions, and I'm trying to sell them something good. 
I didn't have a clue. <laughs> I was a scrawny little kid. I was about this height, but about 20, 30 pounds lighter than I am right now, if you can picture. This little kid, these big, you know, men that just look like their tool belts are permanently affixed to their hips. <laughs> and they're asking me questions about a router. And I'm looking at the router. I've never seen a router before. <laughs> I've never heard the word to route used in this way. <laughs> and he's asking me, which one you know, should I get for these purposes? And I think it would help you go a certain route. And so, <laughs> I don't know. And this one's more expensive. It must be better. And you should buy the service plan. I know that. <laughs> I didn't have a clue what those tools were used for. So I couldn't sell them. I couldn't do anything with them. You have to know what a tool is to be able to use it. I, I know more about a router today, but I probably still couldn't use it. But back then, I wouldn't have no clue what to do with that thing. So I had to learn, what is a router? Some of you around there are thinking, who doesn't know what a router is? <laughs> well, I didn't, okay? So back off. <laughs> so we have to ask ourselves the question, what is a church? What is Dolan's Grove? So many of us have grown up in the church that we take for granted. We go there every week, so surely we know what it is. But we don't often stop and ask ourselves, what is this thing that we're trying to work, that we're working so hard on trying to make do something? What's the number one priority of Dolan's Grove? What's this function? Think of it as a tool. What, what does it do? Have you ever thought about it? What's its mission, its purpose for existing? Is it a place to bring those who don't know Christ? For evangelism? Is it a place for those who already do know Christ to grow? Is that its primary purpose? Is it a place to do fun things together, fellowship? Is that its primary purpose? Is it a place to work hard and serve our community? What should we be pouring our energy into? Teaching, preaching, reaching out, reaching in? There's so many things we could do. We could open a daycare. We could do all kinds of things. We could get involved in politics. We could do so much. But what are we supposed to be doing? Should we work on our building? Or should we sell everything we have and go meet in a park? Should we play contemporary worship songs or, or hymns? And who are we as Christians anyway? What is a Christian? What's the purpose? Why doesn't God, when we accept Christ, just pluck us off of this earth and bring us to Him right away? What's the purpose of us being here? What are we supposed to be doing? Are we supposed to be coming to church ten times a week and wearing robes and having that ball patch on the back of our heads like monks? You guys know what I'm talking about in movies? I told you I was going to go to the ball thing again. <laughs> or are we supposed to be spending more time with our families? Is it okay to miss some church every now and again to nurture our families and to be home together more? As a Christian, should you be watching the movies you watch? As a Christian, should you be so disconnected from our culture as you are? I don't know. Should we be a part of the homosexuality and the abortion debate? 
and all the politics. Is that what Christians should be doing? Should you be saving your money as a Christian? Or should you be giving it all away? There's so many things you can do. Like with that router, I could use it as a paperweight. I could use it to prop a door open. I could use it to build muscles. There's so many things you can do, but what is it designed for? What is our church designed for? What are we as Christians designed for? And who is this Christ that we claim to follow? What is he all about? What's his purpose and what he does? Is is it all about preaching the gospel? Or is it about condemning sinners, showing people their sin? Is it about performing miracles? Who is this Christ that we name ourselves after as Christians? And who's this God that we're always talking about? What is he up to? What is his purpose? Is it all about taking care of us? Making us comfortable? Or is it about judging us, making sure we don't sin? And if we do, lightning bolt. When you meet someone on a plane or in a store and you start to chat and to get to know them, the question almost immediately comes up, what do you do? And they mean, what do you do for a living? It's understood. You know, I would have said, I, I'm a, I do marketing. That's what I would have said. Now I'd say, I'm a pastor of a church. As bizarre as that sounds to me, to say out loud. So if someone were to meet God in line at the grocery store and say, well, you look interesting, what do you do? What would he answer? What does he do? What's his main thing? You say, well, he created this earth thing and he's got these people milling around on it and he just sort of fiddles with it. It's like an ant farm for him. (laughs) Or you say, well, what God does is he cares for us and he follows around after us and picks up after us and, and comes us when we're upset. He's like a cosmic grandpa, basically. Or God watches our every move. That's what he does. If you ask God what he what does he do? He watches us closely to see what we're going to do. And he rewards us when we do well and he punishes punishes us when we do bad. He's like a cosmic referee. What does God do? These are the questions that we have to tackle before starting this year or as we start this year and start this ministry. Today we're going to tackle who is God? As you can see in your bulletin, I know you're thinking, man, we're going to be here all day answering this question. <laughs> Next Sunday, we're going to talk about who is Jesus. We have to clearly understand these things before we can do all this other stuff that we want to do. After that, we're going to talk about who are we? Who are we as people? Who are we as Christians? And then finally, the last Sunday of the month, after we build this foundation, we're going to talk about what is Dolan's growth. We're going to figure out, what is this, this place? What should we be about here? And this was a very difficult sermon to prepare. Because I selected the topic before I selected the scripture. And I really don't like doing that. It makes me very uncomfortable. I think that the majority of preaching should just be done systematically through the Bible. Just me very simply telling you the Bible is saying this. And you can quickly get into some dangerous territory when you pick the topic first. But I do think it's appropriate from time to time for a pastor or a preacher to pick an appropriate topic and then search God's word and bring it to bear. And that's what I'm trying to do today and for this month. But soon after that, I really want to move to a more detailed study of God's word. 
Just going through a book. And what I'm attempting to do this morning is tackle a subject so large that theologians spend their whole lives studying it and writing thick books about it. And here we are. I have about 20 minutes. 30 minutes if I cash in on all those times I let you out early. (laughs) I have never... A service I've preached at here has never gone past 12 o'clock yet. Not by design. I just... I guess I just didn't have that much to say. I don't know. I don't make that promise, though, so don't have that expectation. See, I can't answer this question thoroughly enough this morning in the time that we have. But we can approach one facet of who God is that will be helpful for us in building this foundation. I remember when I first went to our house in Albemarle, where we live now. I was the first one who arrived when we were going to meet the inspector there and walk through and really check it out. And so I walked through the house with the inspector by myself before Meredith got there. And we walked through, and this house was built in 1935. And I think it still has the original coat of paint from 1935 on the outside. (laughs) So I walk in, I see peeling Carolina blue paint. Looks nasty. I see creaking floorboards on on the front stoop as I walk across. I look up at the ceiling inside and I see stained tiles that are coming down. I see just terrible paint jobs slopped all over the place. I see all these things. I see faucets that don't quite seem to work right, that drip. I see all these things and I'm just thinking, oh man, this cannot be the place. Now my inspector's beside me and he's looking around at whatever inspectors look at. And he's saying, this house has good bones. This place has good bones. It has a good foundation. I'm thinking this place is a lost cause. Let's just bulldoze it. Surely it'd be easier. You know, I don't know. I can't even use a router, right? What do I do? <laughs> but he's thinking this house has good bones. You're in good shape here. It's stood up through the test of time since 1935. And it's, it's a good, sturdy foundation for you. Any of those problems that I saw could be fixed without any really major reconstruction. Our understanding of God is our foundation for our lives. Our understanding of God or our theology, that's what builds our foundation and the bones for our life. If you build a house on a weak, a faulty foundation, you're going to get a crooked, messed up house. That's going to crumble over time. So we must spend a great deal of time and energy here building our theology, learning about God. Because that's the foundation on, on top of which we're going to build our lives. That's why it's so important that we start this way. And that we go back to it often. Does the house of your life seem to have good bones to you this morning? Do you feel that undergirding strength? Or does it feel like it's shaken? Like it could come down any minute. Now there are a lot of facets about who God is that we could talk about. We could talk about the Trinity. The idea that God is one being in three persons. We could talk about when he told Moses his name. He said, 
My name is I Am. We could talk about a lot of things. For this morning, in the limited time we have, I really want to focus on just one facet. His purpose. His goal. What is he trying to accomplish in all this? I mean, surely God isn't sitting on some heavenly couch, eating Cheetos, bored, and decides, I'm going to create all this stuff. Surely he works with purpose. And if he does, if our lives and our church was designed by God with some purpose, we really need to figure out what that is before we start doing anything else. It's like understanding the plot of a book or a movie. Have you ever been watching a movie and someone comes in who missed the first hour and a half of it and they sit down and they're just full of questions. Who's that guy? Why is he doing that? Is he going to kill her? Why would he kill her? She seemed nice. What's going to happen? Why did he do that? And you just have to stop it and you have to say, okay, it started here, he did this because of this and that happened because of that and this guy's trying to do this. And you have to explain the plot or else it's just confused mess. And there's so many people whose lives are just confused mess because they don't know what the plot of this whole thing is. We can't let that happen in our church, though. Understanding God's purpose is understanding the plot of history and the plot of our lives and the plot of our church. So let's get at it this morning. I'm going to be referring to a lot of different passages. Well, not a lot. A moderate amount of passages. But I don't want to tire you with you trying to flip to each one. So... Uh, if you want to jot down the references I make to check them out later to make sure I'm telling the truth up here, please do. But we're going to start in the passage that I read in Isaiah. And if you will flip there for me, I'd like for you to, to see that with your own eyes. Isaiah chapter 48. Primarily verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 48. Page 557 in my Bible. Won't help you at all. That's a joke that the youth are so sick of. They're going to have to hear the jokes twice every Sunday now. Isaiah 48, starting at verse 11. I'd like to read it again. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I call. I am he. I am the first, and I am also the last. Surely my hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand together. Now the context of this passage, Isaiah, God is speaking through Isaiah to Israel. Israel has been very obstinate. They're not obeying. They're just being like Israel always is, wayward. And God is speaking through Isaiah. And he's saying, you know, I've taken care of you, basically. I've taken care of you, Israel, even though you've not been worthy of it. And you may ask why I've done this. Well, it's very simple. I've done this for my own sake. For my own sake. He says, for my own sake, I will act. And then he says, I will not give my glory to another. He will not share his glory with another, and he acts for his own sake. God designed everything he created 
with one purpose. To bring Him glory. God designed everything He created for one purpose. To bring Himself glory. Now the word glory, we did this in youth this morning too actually. The word glory, you have to understand what that is. There's so many words, churchy words, that we hear and we hear and then we hear them again until we're just numb and we don't even really know what they mean. Now, I think glory for many of us is one of those words. What does that even mean, to glorify God? Well, I dug back to see exactly where it comes from. And it basically means literally weight. So what you see on your scales every morning is glorious. No, I'm just kidding. I may not. I don't know. It literally means weight. But it's used figuratively to mean basically the weight or the heft of God's splendor, of His majesty, of His beauty. It's the, the heaviness of it. I had a... When I was in college, we had a minister named Dave Owen, and he was, he was prone to say the same phrases over and over again as he spoke. And one of them was, this is weighty. He would hold the Bible like this and say, this is weighty, weighty stuff. And that's basically what glory is getting at. It's weighty. It's, it's heavy. It's glorious. Glory is, in essence, everything that makes God worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship. Glory is everything that makes God worthy of our worship. Now, before we can move on, we also have to understand what worship is. It's another one of these words that we've heard over and over. But do we really understand it? When we think of worship, usually we think of the singing part of the service. Worship actually means to ascribe worth to something. So when we worship God, we're saying... I am saying with my life and my energy and my time that you're worth it. You're worth my life. You're worth my energy. You're worth my time. That's worship. It's not just singing. It's our whole lives lived out as though God were glorious and worthy of our attention. So God does everything He does to establish, to communicate to us and help us understand his glory, His praiseworthiness. Okay? Now this was one verse, and I just plopped a big old hunk of truth on you there from this one little verse. But I want to support it by just sort of quickly moving through some things we're familiar with in the Bible. What's the very first thing that happens in the Bible? The youth ought to knock this out of the park. The very first thing that happens, creation. God created everything. Created man. So why did he create man? Well, let's think about it. Man was the, the climax of creation. He created everything else. It all gets a little bit more intricate, a little bit more involved, a little bit more special. And he gets to man, and he creates man. And man is the only part of his creation that he says is created in his image. So man is created in his image. It's also the only part of creation about which he says it is very good. He says the rest is good. When he creates man, he says it is very good. Man made in my image. And then he tells man to go forth, multiply, subdue the earth. 
So in man's subduing and taking care of the earth, being made in God's image, it's an imaging forth of God. So all the things that make us stand apart from animals and plants are imaging forth of God and His glory. So He created man to reflect, basically, His glory. Now this is something hard to take in. I want to share with you... Well, I won't flip there. But there's two verses that say it much more clearly. In Isaiah... Isaiah 43.7, it basically says that people were created for His glory. If you want to write that down to look at it later, it's Isaiah 43.7. Also, Numbers 14.21 says that the earth is made to be full of His glory. So His creation is all about His glory. Move on to another event, the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Man came along, they wanted to make a big tower to make their name great. That was their stated purpose. Basically, let's make a big building that will bring us glory and make us look good and make a name for ourselves. And God looked down and saw what they were up to and He said, I cannot allow this. He confused their language. That's where we get all our different languages from. So we look at that and we think, well, why did God have to mess up their plan? They were just going to build a big tower. It seems like a bully kicking a mound of ants or something just to see him go crazy. Why does he need to, to waste his time with that? See, what they were doing runs totally contrary to everything God is about. We just stated from Scripture that God is all about bringing Himself glory. Because He's the most glorious thing there is. And when man comes together to try to endeavor to do something, to bring themselves glory, to basically, basically bring themselves praise, to bring themselves worship, to say, I am worthy of praise and worship over God. He is not going to bless those efforts. He isn't about making men glorious. He's about making his name glorious on the earth. Move on ahead. Check out the story of Abraham in Genesis 12. Now we'll go read that real quick. The first two verses of Genesis 12. He just frustrated the efforts of the people at Babylon. Because they were trying to make a great name for themselves. Now, Abraham was old. No, 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 wrong chapter. He was old, though. <laughs> so that part is true. Not a total waste. Chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He says to Abram, I will make your name great. Okay, now wait a minute. He didn't want the people at the Tower of Babel to make their name great. Why does he treat Abram any different? Why does he say, I'll help you make your name great? In Romans, again, you don't have to flip here, but in Romans chapter 4... He explains it pretty quickly. Romans chapter 4 verse 20. Speaking about Abraham. It says, Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief and grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham was a man 
whose natural lifestyle was to give glory to God. So God blessed him and made his name great because in making Abraham's name great, people looking at Abraham didn't really see Abraham. They saw right through him to God and saw God's glory. Moving ahead a little bit more. Why did God save the Israelites from the Egyptians in the Exodus? Because they were just neat people? Because he looked down and was like, oh, I'll help them out. In Psalm 106, 8, there's an explanation for this. It says, nevertheless, he saved them, the Israelites, for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. It just comes up over and over again as you move through the scriptures. He's doing things for his own sake, for his name. And you say, well, gosh, that seems selfish. I'm not supposed to do things for my name's sake because it's just wrong. Why is it right for him to do so? It's not wrong to worship something. And don't misunderstand me, but it's not wrong to worship yourself if you are the most worthy, glorious being that there is. That may be confusing, but I hope not. It's not wrong for God to do these things for his glory. Because he is the glorious one. Everything should be done for his glory. It would be wrong for him to do things for my glory because I'm the sinful little creature. Who wants to worship a God like that? That worships a little idol or a little man? What was the very first of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. Or in other words, you shall worship nothing or no one over me. You shall ascribe glory and praiseworthiness to nothing and no one over me. We could go on and on through the Old Testament. And we could go on through the New Testament. In John 17, 4, it says that Jesus came for God's glory. He did everything he did on earth for God's glory. Okay, and you say, oh great. Oh man, it's almost 12 and he's preaching this whole sermon about God doing things for his glory. I mean, God's going to do what God's going to do. I need something that's going to help me in my life, in my struggles. I don't need to hear all this about what God's up to. I don't really get it anyway. What I need is 10 steps to success from the Bible. Or five steps of how to raise a good kid from the Bible. No, it's not what you need. It's not what we need. We need this. We need proper, deep theology. We need to understand who God is. We can't build our house without a foundation. You can put really pretty paint on a shack, but when the strong winds come, it's going down. Understanding God is the most important part of your foundation for your life. If you don't understand that God does everything he does, including creating you and me for his glory, you're not going to understand hardly anything about your life. You're not going to understand how to do right and wrong most of the time. When you have to decide between saying this or saying that, you're probably going to think first, well, what's going to, what's going to make me comfortable here? What's going to keep this situation from being awkward for me? When all the while you should be thinking, 
what is going to be the most glorifying to God? Because that's what I was created for. You see, trying to live your life for any other purpose, for your own comfort, for your own happiness, trying to live your life for those purposes is like trying to paint a wall with a hammer. It's not going to work. And it's going to make a mess out of everything. Because that's not what you were created for. Hammer was not created to paint a wall. You were only created to bring glory to God. That's your purpose in life. When things come up in your life, you won't know what to do if you don't understand these things about God. If you become unexpectedly pregnant, you don't know what to do with this child, you're going to panic. Because you're not going to know that you and that child were created for a divine purpose, for God's glory. And you cannot end that child's life in abortion. When something awful happens and your whole theology is built around on this foundation of God exists to take care of me. God exists to make me comfortable. God exists to make sure I have two running cars and new shirts If your whole life is built on that foundation, when hard times come, it's going to come crashing down to the floor. And you're just not going to understand why. People think that the prosperity gospel, that God is here to give you what you want, is a great foundation to build your life on. Because, man, it sounds good, doesn't it? If I pray to God with faith, then he'll give me anything I want. A new car, whatever. That sounds great. Let's build our life on that foundation. But again, when the hard times come, and they come, many of you are living through them right now, that house is going to crumble because its bones, its foundations, it was rotten to begin with. And this is so difficult to take in. And it's so difficult to apply in our lives. Because the whole world wants you to think differently. The whole world wants you to think, no, it's you. It's about you. You're worth this. You deserve this. You, you, you. Think about yourself. And that still small voice is there in the background saying, no, it's not. You were created for something so much bigger than to build your own legacy, to build your own name. You were created for a purpose so much grander And you won't feel fulfillment until you start living out that purpose. Why do you think God picked stuttering Moses to lead his people out of of Egypt? Because he wasn't a man who had any ounce of strength in himself to be able to pull it off. It was someone who would rely on him totally and give him the glory. Why do you think he picked little shepherd boy David to take down Goliath? Because he doesn't want us to be all puffed up and to say, ah, I'm Matt Broadway. I'm the pastor of a church. I'm going to do great things. He does not want that. He wants me on my knees, feeling desperately that I can do nothing without him. And if something goes well, I give him the glory. Because it's only through him. Why do you think he picked uneducated fishermen to be his disciples? Because they weren't like the religious people who thought they had it all together. They were people who he could build a foundation with. We spent our lives trying to be these people 
who seem to just have it all together. And we spend our energy in our church trying to be these people who, who just who know the right way and who say the right things. Let's just admit it. We're desperate people. We're desperate. And that's okay. God can glorify Himself through our lives when we're humble enough to admit that. Looking at Hollywood stars drunk with their own glory, you get a clear idea. Because the news eventually comes out that really their lives are in shambles. As glorious as it seems, they're pearly white smiles and their thick head of hair and their, their great designer clothes and their shiny new cars and their giant mansions. Man, they're glorious. They've got it all together. No, they don't. They're desperate people just like us. Amen. One of my professors said that he would put sticky notes all over the place. In his car, in his office, at his house, on his mirror where he'd sit when he brushed his teeth. And on there, there was a simple question. He said, how can I glorify God today? That may be the little tangible thing that we need to do to start living this truth out. To remember, in every situation, in every decision we have to make, in every conversation we're about to start, how can I glorify God in this? How can I live in light of the fact that God is worthy of my obedience in this situation. We have to ask ourselves these questions. In this conflict, is my attitude bringing glory to God? In this endeavor that I'm trying to do, is, is this going to bring me glory or God glory? Because I was only designed for one of the two. We have to look at our church in the same way. This is one way moving forward that we can determine what to do. Our church was built to bring God glory. So when we think of a new program or if we look at existing ones, we've got to think, is this for God's glory or is this for Dylan's growth glory? Because it's not about bringing in members or, or doing something fancy to be like, kabam, here's Dylan's growth on the scene. It's about bringing God glory. It usually comes through humble means. So take a look at what you're doing in your life. Is it bringing glory to God? Take a look at what you do in this church. Is your membership bringing glory to God? Your Sunday school class, your time in the nursery, your role as an officer. All these things can be done to bring glory to God. It's difficult to think this way. But we have to ask ourselves these questions. How can we glorify God? Because that's His purpose for your lives and my life. That's His purpose in all that He does. That's His purpose that He will bless every time. If we set out to do something for His glory, He'll bless that. Because that's His will for our lives and that's His will for our church.